Happy Easter. Welcome to all of you who are here today. Jesus Christ, our Savior, died for our sins, was put in a tomb, and on the third day, he came back to life, and he is alive today. Do you believe that? Can we clap to our God again today? And he changes our lives. And we're so glad that you are here this morning. As Randy said, you are the last leg. The baton has been passed off to you. I couldn't even remember which service I was in last time. Man, we've done so many of these, but, but here you are in the last one, and here's what does matter. You are here today. That's what matters. You personally are here, and I'm so glad that I got to meet some of you before the service and, and just introduce myself, and I hope to get to know you more. We're honored that you're with us today. How cool is this that we're getting to have our first Easter services in our new facility? That has been exciting. That's been awesome. Some of you, maybe you didn't know that, but, uh, but, but this has been a great day for us and just a great weekend, really, overall. And uh, so again, thank you for being here today. We're excited about you being here. I'm also excited about not only what's happening here, but as Randy said in our prayer uh, a few moments ago, because of your generosity, and so many of you were generous at Christmas when we had a special offering that 100% goes into missions all around the world and in church planting efforts. We don't keep anything here. We send it all out. Because of your generosity, I shared this last week. I want to share it with you. We've been able to help come alongside and, and, and just be a part partner with brand new church plants, nine new church plants this year that we've been able to come alongside and partner with because of your generosity. And I thank you for that. I thank you for that. Because here's the deal. And in fact, two of them are planting right here in Saginaw. One's meeting at Highland Middle School uh, this morning uh, called the Outpost Church, and we partner with them and love them. Uh, one met this morning at Community Link, and we partner with them. It's called Renovate Church. Uh, there's churches in Cleburne that we're partnering with all over the world. There's, there's churches in, uh, in uh, Canada that we're partnering with, and I'm just so excited about that because we got to know this. God is so much bigger in what he's doing that it goes beyond these walls right here, right? God is alive. He is at work. And, and our whole passion for that is this. We're not trying to be a big church. We don't want to be. That's not what we're looking for. We want people just everywhere just to know how much Jesus really loves them. We want you to know you're made for a relationship with God. That's what you are made for. So I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad that we're getting to be a part of these other churches, that they're getting started. Many of them, this is their first Easter, and so praise God for that. So uh, I've been pastoring EVC now for about 18 and a half years. We started the church. I grew up here in this area. By the way, I never thought that this punk kid who was going to that Boswell High School right there would ever grow up to be a pastor right across the street. That's kind of crazy for me, all right? You should know that's weird because I was a punk, just letting you know. But Jesus saved me and uh, changed my life. By the way, I normally don't wear a coat on Sunday morning, all right? Some of you didn't even recognize me. Um, <laughs> It's an Easter miracle that I'm wearing a coat today, and uh, this is, I call this my CEO coat, and that's not because I'm in charge, because I'm the boss, because really I don't care about that. This is my Christmas and Easter only coat right here, all right? So there you go. But when I was, uh, whenever we planted the church, I grew up in this area, we planted the church 18 and a half years ago, and uh, so what that means is I've preached at least 18 Easter messages, and so every year uh, I feel this pressure, and it's self-imposed pressure. I put on myself every year to, to like, uh, can, I, can I be more creative? Can I do this this way or whatever? And I start about six weeks out, this pressure starts kind of mounting upon me, and I'm a perfectionist in a lot of ways. 
uh, especially whenever it comes to what I get to do, and I'm privileged to get to do this. And but I want everything to be right. I want things to be right when you come here, and I want to. I want as because so many of you are guests, and I want you to feel welcome. And I want. I don't ever want anything we do as a church to stand in the way of you feeling welcome and knowing how much Christ loves you. And so we work really hard to try to achieve that. And so about, about six weeks out, I start feeling this pressure kind of on my shoulders. I do it to myself. And I start thinking thoughts like this. If, well, if our music is on point, you know, uh, and by the way, music was on point, right? And how about the choir? They're awesome, man. Or if, uh, you know, or if our guest services is, is great and they are and parking teams got to do this and they're wonderful and, you know, and, and, and all the, if we have the right amount of bacon on the burritos, you know, I mean, I'm thinking thoughts like that and, and it's, it, it, we do want all those things to be right. But then this thought kind of crosses my mind. If I will just preach the best message I've ever preached, then maybe Maybe people will, who maybe already know Jesus, maybe they'll just fall in love with him more. And maybe, just maybe, um, those that don't know really how much Jesus loves them and they're not in a relationship, maybe I'll be the one to convince them. And so, um, and, but, but I kind of like start thinking, it's like all up to me, right? And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm really open about stuff, okay? But I struggle with anxiety sometimes. Anybody struggle with anxiety? Raise your hands up. Do we have any control freaks that are here today? Raise them up. Some of you are like, don't tell me what to do. All right, but uh, you can raise your hand. You know you're a control freak. Um, but I'm, I struggle with that. So I start thinking this way, and about two weeks ago, I was uh, feeling that. And I woke up in the middle of the night, about two o'clock in the morning there, and I just decided to go outside on my back porch, and that's where I like to have a time where I just talk with God, because I get to do that because, not because I'm, I deserve it, but because Jesus died for me, I'm in a relationship with him now. And so I was just talking to him, and I said, Lord, I'm just feeling anxious, and I'm concerned about this, and we say concerned, we're really worried. All right, I'm concerned about this, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this, and I just felt like the Lord was, and he wasn't saying anything audibly to me, but I'm in communion with him because of Jesus, and I felt like the Lord was saying this to me. I felt like he was saying, Bart, I love how hard you're working, I love that the church is doing well, but here's the thing, and, 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 he, and I feel like he says son, because you know what? I am his son, and if you're in Jesus, you're his son. If you're in Jesus, you're his daughter. And I felt like he said to me that, that evening in the middle of the night where I was praying about this, hey, here's, I want to remind you of something, Bart. This isn't about you. This isn't about your fancy Easter coat, right? This isn't about this building. What we're doing today is not about even, I mean, it not, has nothing to, I mean, that, is, that stuff is small stuff. What I felt like he was saying is this, this is all about Jesus. And I felt like he was saying, I want you to make it all about Jesus. Everything about Jesus. That is right, right? <laughs> Everything about Jesus, right? And, and, and here's the thing. When you leave today, you are the last service. I hope that we did a good job for you who are guests and you felt welcome and your kids enjoyed it. But here's what I've really been praying for for you and I'm praying for all of you when you leave today that we're not talking about a pastor. We don't need celebrity pastors, okay? You're not talking about a song, although that was awesome and good. We're not talking about maybe uh, the burritos, and if you're talking about that, your bar is really low, okay? Um, you're not talking about the car. Here's what I've been praying for you, that when you leave today, that you are talking about and thinking about Jesus, Amen. that that's what you're talking about, Jesus. 
that you're thinking about that and you're contemplating that and who is he? What, is, what has he done? What does that mean? And, and so with that being said, can I ask you just a straight up question? Can I tell you about Jesus today? Yes. All right. So let's do this. Let's just pray together and let's ask him to show us who he is. Lord Jesus, we do celebrate you today. We thank you for your death. We thank you for your resurrection. We thank you that you gained victory over sin, over death, and therefore, because you said this, these aren't some pastor's words. This is what you said. For all who will believe in you, we can have victory over sin and over every problem in our life. We thank you for that. We thank you that not only were you crucified and you were buried and you died for us, but we thank you, Lord, that you gained victory over death through the resurrection of Jesus. We no longer have to fear death. Lord, because of you, uh, as Paul said, the sting of death has been removed. And so today, Lord, would you help us understand more about who you are? Those who already know you, Lord, my prayer would be that they would fall deeper in love with you as they see who you are and what you've done. And for those who are still exploring what it means to be a believer, maybe you're not, they're not even interested in that. Lord, my prayer is that you would just show them how much you love them. Show them who you are. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. And everyone said, amen. So I want to start with a basic question. And it's an important question. Don't let the simplicity of the question get past you. And here's what it is, though. Who is this Jesus? Who is this guy? Have you, have you thought about that late, lately? Okay, Who is this Jesus? And what difference does it make is what we'll begin to talk about. Why is he even relevant some 2,000 years later? Is he relevant in our culture today? Who is this Jesus? And that is one of the biggest questions that you will ever address in your life. So let me just begin to tell you a little bit of his story, okay? Jesus was born in relative obscurity around 2,000 years ago. He was born in, in, and grew up in, a, in a, a little hick town called Nazareth. Translated probably in the Greek, it probably translates something like this, Saginaw, okay? That's what it would be like. <laughs> And, uh, well, it was a hick town when I grew up here. It's not anymore, but it was. But, but it was just an everyday town. There was nothing special about the town. He grew up uh, in, a, in a town like that, and, and, and again, in obscurity. And I want you to just to begin to think about some of these things about Jesus, right? His mother was a, 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 likely a teenager whenever he was born. Um, he was not born in a palace as he should have been because he came down as God, as we will read about. He wasn't born in a hospital like most of us. He wasn't born in a home. The scripture tells us, and this is how he selected to do this, and it's mind-boggling when you think of God doing it in this way, that he chose willingly to come and to be born in a, in a, in a stable where barnyard animals would sleep. That that's how he did it. What humility, right? His stepdad, and it was his stepdad because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit is what the scripture tells us. We believe in this miracle, right, of, of this. And, and he was conceived of, uh, and, and, and Mary was a virgin when he was born. We believe this, but his stepdad, Joseph, who would later marry Mary, uh, he was a blue collar, kind of uh, just everyday guy that swung a hammer for a living. He was a carpenter. And Jesus grew up in that family. He would later have brothers and sisters. But as he, as he grew up, he, he never owned a home. He, uh, he was just an everyday guy. He never owned this home. He never wrote a book. He never ran for a political office, although later they tried to force him into that. 
He never ran a major corporation. He was an everyday blue-collar guy who was swinging a hammer with his stepdad, uh, Joseph, for probably the first 30 years of his life, coming alongside and just, just, just working with his dad. The Scripture says this about him as a young man. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Now, around age 30, and this was important culturally, that Jesus waited before his public ministry would start. He waited till age 30 because the Jews would not respect those who would try to teach at that point. You had to be 30 years of age, and so he waited till that age. And he began his public ministry where he was preaching, and he was teaching, and he was doing miracles. He was doing all kinds of things. He was healing as a young adult, this is so interesting to me, his resume is not something that would like blow you away to where, in fact, in, in many of our churches in America today, if he had a resume, we probably wouldn't even look at it. That's kind of sad, right? But that's just the truth because he didn't have much of a worldly resume, so to speak, yet. He never married. He never had any children. His life was lived in an incredibly simple way, so much that in his ministry years, he was homeless. He even said, the Son of Man has no place to lay his, his head down. While he was going around from town to town, he didn't have a home. He would stay in certain places while he was serving for the kingdom of God. Now, all of that, taking the context this, yet in light of this simple and very plain background, here is what we find and know today. Jesus Christ is the most significant person and most pivotal figure in the history of the world. Amen, right? That is who he is. H.G. Wells, who was an English author and a historian, he wrote this, Jesus of Nazareth is the dominant figure in history. You may not know who H.G. Wells is, but I bet, I, I bet you recognize this guy right here, Albert Einstein. He might be a little bit smart, right? Okay, all right. He said this in the Saturday Evening Post in 1929, and as he was being interviewed, he said, as a child, I received instruction both in the Bible and in the Talmud. I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. And then he was asked if he believed in the, in the historical existence of Jesus, and he said this, no one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. So interesting, right? His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. So renowned historians, world-renowned physicists and scientists declare this about Jesus Christ. They may not even be followers of Jesus, but they cannot deny that he is the pivotal figure of history that you have to answer the question who he is. More paintings have been painted of him. More songs have been sung to him. More books have been written about him. More than anyone in the history of the world. And on this Easter weekend, a few billion people, not to mention the billions throughout the 2,000 years, have believed that he was Jesus Christ the Lord, the God, the Savior, the risen King, who is worthy of our applause today. Can we clap to our God today, right? There is no one who has transformed the world like Jesus Christ. There is no one. Nobody has done that. Our own calendars are marked by Jesus. B.C., before Christ, 
A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. That's what that means. We mark our calendars based upon the life of Jesus. And so, uh, why Jesus, though? That's another big question. Why does it matter today what he did 2,000 years ago? How does it even apply to us today, Bart? And, and, and this is a big question. And why is what the things that Jesus says, why, is he, why does he supersede others throughout history? Why should we embrace his teachings above other religious leaders? Jesus says some things about this in John chapter 14. He says this, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words, everybody say words, words, I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work. Everybody say work, his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work that you've seen me do. So what Jesus would say, and he says it to us today, he said it to them back then, is I want you to explore who I am. I at least challenge you to do that. Whether you uh, believe in Jesus or not today, first of all, if that's you and you're just kind of checking things out, I want you to know we are so excited you're here and glad you're here. And, and if you are a believer, he would say you should have a faith that is an intellectual faith. You should understand why you believe what you believe. Why is it that you believe what you believe? You don't have to check your brains at the door whenever you come in. You can have an intelligent faith, but he said, here's what I urge you to do. At least check me out. Check out my words. What did I say? Check out my works. What did I do? This is what Jesus said. Well, let's just look at these things just quickly this morning. What did Jesus say about himself? Jesus said, first of all, and it's a huge statement. He said, Jesus said he came down from heaven. He came down from heaven. No one has made that claim with any credibility other than Jesus, listen to what he said, verse 38 of John 6, for I have come down from heaven, doesn't get any clearer than that, to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, for it is my Father's will that all who see his Son, now say the next part with me out loud, and do what? And believe in him should have what? Eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. What a great promise. Now, when he said these words, this was controversial. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that what? Came down from heaven. They said, wait a minute. Isn't this Joseph and Mary's son? Wait a second. That's the dude that was swinging the hammer. Who does he think he is saying a statement like this, you say, what's the big deal about coming down from heaven? What he's saying is this, this is a declaration that he is making before people that, his, that he existed before his entrance into human history. He's telling us that he existed uh, in what is called eternity past in heaven as the God who has no beginning or no end. In the book of Revelation, he would say, I am the alpha and I am the omega. I am the beginning and I am what? The end. What he's saying is there's never been a time when I was not. Jesus is saying this about himself. Who does he think he is? It's so important for us to remember that Jesus is not claiming that he was a man that then would later become a God. Many have claimed that. But what he's saying is, and this is powerful, I hope you hear this. 
I came down willingly as one who was already God. I inserted myself into human history because, friends, you and I were separated from God because the Bible says we're sinners and God is holy. We need a Savior in order to restore us back into the relationship with God that you're made for. Some of you know what a relationship with God is all about. Some of you, maybe you've never understood that or, or knew that that's what was missing in your life. And maybe you've tried to fill it with other things and you're like, man, it just can't, I can't seem to find what it is that I'm looking for here. But, but here's the thing. You're made to be in a relationship with your creator. He made you for that. And so Jesus said, I'm going to insert myself. I'm going to come down as the one that can restore them, that can redeem them, that can forgive them so they can walk again in relationship with the God that made them. That's why he came. And what did he say? If you believe in me, I will save you. And I will raise you up on that last day. Jesus said, I came down from heaven. Now, here's another thing that he said, and it's, it's controversial, but this, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, not only did I come down from heaven, he said, I'm the only way to heaven. He said these words, and I know that they're exclusive and it's difficult for many to hear, but Jesus said this about himself. He said, I not only came to heaven, but I want you to be there with me. And here's the thing, I, you need to come through me to get to heaven. He said in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the life, singular and exclusive is what he's saying. Now, will you read the next part with me out loud? Let's all say it together. Y'all the last ones. Let's say it loud, okay? Ready? No one can come to the Father except... Wow. And that's pretty exclusive. Now, I know for, for, for a lot, we're like, whoa, wait, what's he saying here? He's saying, and here's the thing. I want you to know, if you're a guest, we believe this about Jesus because Jesus said it. He said it, and therefore, we believe this, and we accept this, and, 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 and I know we may think, well, gosh, it seems kind of narrow-minded if you believe that, but listen, we believe it because Jesus said these words about himself. He said he's the way. He said he's the truth and the life, and the only way to get to the Father is through him, his words, and here is what we believe as a result of that, that anything beyond the grave apart from Jesus Christ is hopeless. That's why it's so important that I tell you how much Jesus loves you and that other churches are doing their best to get that good news out and that we keep going with the good news of Christ to those. It's, it's, he didn't come to condemn us. He came to save us. He wants you to have a relationship with him. And so Jesus said, through belief in me. Now, many of us will, will try other ways to get to heaven. We'll try other religion. Or we'll, we'll try to maybe come to church more, or we'll try to do better things, or we'll try to be a better person, or maybe we'll give more, or we'll do these things. And here is why he said this. He said, listen, I want you to understand clearly how you get to me. It's not through religion. It's through me. And he said that because he loves us. He doesn't, he wants to be clear, all right? So here's a third thing he said. He said, I came from heaven, I'm the way to heaven. And he said, thirdly, he said, I'm the sinless one. He said he was sinless. This is an extraordinary and unparalleled claim. None, none of us in here, I don't think, would make it. Nobody's made it in the others that you've never, you know, told a lie. I mean, we're all sinners, amen? Can we agree on that, right? And, and, and throughout the world, I mean, even the moral people, very more, you're probably a moral person, but even the most moral people that we would think of, Mother Teresa, maybe you think of her, maybe you think of Billy Graham, maybe you think of Gandhi, whatever kind of person like that that's done a lot of good in this world, they did not make this claim. 
They would even say that they struggled at times with pride or that they struggled with other kinds of things, right? Their thoughts were not always pure. They sometimes failed to do things they should and and sometimes they did things they shouldn't have done. That's called sin, right? But Jesus alone claimed to be without sin. This is one example of him saying something like this in John 8, which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe in me? If I'm the sinless one. When they arrested him, they had to trump up charges against him. They, they, couldn't, even, they couldn't even get their story straight. They were, the religious leaders were bribing uh, others to say things about him, and they couldn't get their stories straight. And so they were, they were trying to railroad Jesus, right? And they, were trying, and, and they, they, couldn't, they couldn't find anything technically to accuse him of. Even Pilate, who was the Roman governor who didn't follow Jesus, he could clearly see this guy's done nothing wrong. Over and over again, he said, he's not done anything wrong. He's an innocent man. I don't want to crucify this guy. The thief on the cross wasn't a follower of Jesus until this moment. He said, he's an innocent man. And and then even the Roman centurion, he wasn't a follower of Jesus. He said, he's an innocent man. He's not done anything wrong. He's the sinless one. Right? They couldn't find anything to accuse him of. He declared himself as sinless, and this is critical because, you see, we are sinners, and we cannot pay for our own sin. There needed to be a perfect sacrifice. And the perfect sacrifice would come through Jesus Christ, who lived and walked on this earth, was tempted like we were tempted, but he resisted and, and, in every way, and he lived that perfect, sinless life to become the perfect, sinless sacrifice for our sin. So Jesus said he was the sinless one. And here's another big thing that he said that's very controversial. Jesus clearly said he was God. He said it very clearly. This claim is highly unusual. And even in the history of the world, there are only a few who have made a claim like that. They don't have the resume, though, to back it up. Of other major religious leaders in the world, they've not made that claim. Muhammad never made that claim about himself. By the way, did you know that Jesus is, is mentioned more in the Quran than Muhammad? Buddha never made that claim about himself. Others may have said things like that, but they would say we're servants of God. We're prophets of God. We, they never made the claim that in saying that they were God. But Jesus clearly said, and he's emphatic over and over again, that he was God. Here's one such Example in John 10, the father and I are one. By the way, that's the reason they wanted to kill him, and eventually he allowed them to murder him. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. Jesus said, at my father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? And then this is what they said. We're stoning you not for any good work. We are stoning you for, say it with me, what? Blasphemy. Now say it with me. What does he say? What do they say? You are a mere man, and you claim to be God. See, they, he was clear. They got it. They, know, they knew what he was saying when he said these things. And, and some would say, no, man, I, I, I can hang with Jesus. He said some good things. He said, he said, maybe he's just a moral teacher. Maybe he's a good teacher. Maybe he's just a really good man. C.S. Lewis, the great theologian, would say, but if you think about it and you understand that he declared himself as God, then what did he say? What did Lewis say? He said, either here is the deal. He's a liar, which would negate his morality, or he's crazy, which who would want to follow a crazy man, or he is Lord. He is Lord. 
And I could keep going on the things that Jesus said about himself, exclusive things he said regarding his deity, just not time today. These are major things that you have to think about. You have to be willing, if you want to have some intellectual honesty, to say, what did he say? What, what did he do? You know, and, and that's what we're looking at. And so, by the way, isn't it interesting that in all world religions, that sacrifice is something that's a part of all of them. And from the human perspective, in all religions, we're trying to sacrifice something. Something. We sacrifice, even in, in remote tribes, they'll sacrifice to appease the gods, to get something from the gods. But I want you to think about this with me this, even, this afternoon now. Think about this. Christianity flips the script in this. Okay, because here's what it said. Here's how it's different. God himself said, no, I, I won't accept that sacrifice from you. You can't do it. So I will become the sacrifice, not to get something from you, but to give you something. And here's what it is, eternal life. Because I want you to be with me in heaven. So these are the words about Jesus. Now, let me quickly take you through a few works. Again, there's just not time. Uh, even the Gospel of John says all the books in the world couldn't hold all the things of Jesus. So what are his works? Well, here's one. He foretold the future. He foretold the future. How many of you would like to be able to foretell the future? You'd like that? Anybody raise your hand? Come on, help me out. Anybody? You still with me? All right. Man, just think you could win your March Madness bracket every year. Right? Dominate your friends in fantasy football. How many of you would like to do that because you could predict the stock market and make a lot of money, right? Anybody do that? Or, you, or maybe, maybe you're more along the lines of, man, I just would play the lotto every week and I would win, right? How many of that you're in? And I, I trust that you would tithe off of that, right? You would, right? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. But, uh, but here's the deal. Jesus foretold the future over and over again because he could, because he was God. In, in Luke 22, but Jesus said this, an example, Peter let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. I mean, he, he called the shot. He got specific. That's just one example. There's so many. I just don't have time to get into them. Here's the second big work that we see. One of his works is that Jesus forgave sins. Wow. Who gets to do that? God does. We, we can feel when we do wrong. We can feel when, we, when our, our conscience lets us know, right? And, and so we, many of us live with a guilt that we carry with us and we cope with it in different ways. Some of us, we get depressed. Some of us, we try to work hard and get God to accept us or maybe he'll finally, will be accepted by others, right? Some of us will self-medicate, numb out. We don't want to feel anything. Some of us will beat ourselves up over and over again. But what I want you to see is Jesus, unlike anyone else, doesn't tell us how we can get rid of our sin and have our conscience cleared on our own. What he said is, if you will, will come to me in humility, he says he is the one who will take our sin away and remove our stain of guilt. I'm going to say this. You don't need a pastor to get forgiven. You don't need a priest to get forgiven. You don't need the Pope to get forgiven. Jesus made it to where you could be forgiven when you asked him. Right? Direct access to him. He goes on, he's, there's a paralyzed man that he's going to say something to, and it's going to stir up controversy. Seeing their faith, they brought this paralyzed man to me. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. And some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there, they thought to themselves, this was controversial. What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is saying, duh. Duh. <laughs> 
by the way, let me just go ahead and heal this guy. Stand up and walk. And then he dropped the mic, boom, and walked off, okay? (laughs) What he's saying is this, is that only God, they recognize, only God has the authority to forgive sin. Only God does. And Jesus is saying, I'm God. I can forgive your sins. And I want every one of you to hear this today, okay? Everyone listen to this. It doesn't matter what you have done in your life. And I've done some bad things that I am not proud of. I'm ashamed of some of the things that I've done. But it doesn't matter what you have done. Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross for those sins. And he said, if you will ask me for forgiveness, do you know what he wants to say? The same thing he said to that paralyzed man. My child, your sins are forgiven. Now get up and go walk forward in me. That's what he wants for you. And you don't need me to get to him for that. Finally, this is what Jesus did. One of his his works is he, he performed great miracles. And I wish I had time to tell you about so many. Some of you are like, no, don't do that today, all right? And it's a miracle that I'm wrapping this up right now, just letting you know, all right? But here's, the, I want to wrap it up. His miracles, his miracles showed his rule over history, his rule over the natural order of things, his rule over creation. And, and he changed, just, just think, he changed water to wine, just being able to do that. He fed thousands from a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. He, he walked on water. Anybody here done that? No, right? I mean, he healed the sick. He gave the, the blind sight back. Those that were deaf, he healed their ears so they could hear again. He cleansed lepers. I mean, just think on and on of the miracles of Jesus and his dominance. He calmed the sea. He spoke to it and it stopped. The waves stopped stopped crashing, the, the storm stopped raging, right? He spoke and, it com- and, and commanded and it obeyed him. And then he called the biggest shot of all and the biggest miracle of all. He raised the dead and he said, not only will I raise the dead of others, but I myself, when I die for you, I will be raised for you. Amen, right? This is what he said, last verse. Actually, I lied, there's one more after that. They were now on the way up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe. Why? His miracles. And the people and his teachings, his works, his words. And the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priest and the teachers of religious law. He's calling the shot right here. They will sentence him, talking about himself, Sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him. They will spit on him, flog him with a whip and kill him. Now say the last part with me. But after three days, he will rise again. He called the shot. Yeah, right? He called the shot. Pulling the comeback of all comebacks. And so he was brutalized for us. He let him do that. He was brutalized for us. Went to the cross They took him down off the cross when he died, and he gave up his spirit, right? No man took it from him. He gave it up. They put him in a grave, in a tomb, right? They buried him. 
And then three days later, the scripture tells us this, that the angels rolled the stone away. Have you ever thought about this? They rolled the stone away. He took his grave clothes off and he set them aside, folded them up. Look, the, the stone was rolled away not to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away to let others see that he wasn't in there anymore, right? He could have done whatever he wanted. He wanted us to see that he's alive. Jesus Christ is alive, right? Last year, I did, a, uh, I did a message on Easter about the apologetics of the resurrection. And if you, if, if, if I don't have time to go there today, but I just want you to think quickly about this. Those same disciples that deserted him, that abandoned him, that denied him, that were running and cowering in fear. What is it that changed them to where they were willing to go to their death for this Jesus? It's because they saw him. The resurrection is real. His own brothers did not accept him whenever he was in his public ministry years. They didn't believe in him. How'd you like to be the brother of the Son of God? That would not go well, right? James and Jude both. What was it that changed them? The resurrection of Jesus. Over 500, Paul says, saw him at one time. It wasn't a group hallucination. Uh, Psychiatrists have said that's impossible. That would be a bigger miracle, right? What was it that changed all these guys that they were willing to go to their death? Nobody dies for a lie. But they were willing to go to their death for Jesus. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The point is, if he, is that he is alive. And if you are a doubter, and I humbly encourage you, and I, I don't say this with any pressure, I just challenge you and humbly encourage you, would you look into it more? If you're a believer, would you follow him? The same way that his disciples did, because that kind of risen Savior commands the same kind of allegiance, right, today from us. Would you follow him the way that he's called you to? This is the story of Jesus, folks. Do you love it? I love the story of Jesus. But you know what? Here's the deal. His story's not over. You're still living his story today. And this is what he said. He said, I want you to keep going in my name. And he said this, and I will come back for you. Jesus Christ is going to return one day. The question is, will you be ready for that? The first time he came in humility and he came in obscurity. The second coming, he is coming in power and he is coming in authority. And every eye will see him and every knee will bow. That's what Jesus said. And so not only is it important that you question or deal with this question of who is Jesus, really the bigger question is, what have you decided about him? What have you decided about Jesus Christ? I want to invite you to prayer with me at this moment. Jesus came because he loves you. He said, I did not come to condemn you or to judge you. I came to give you life because I love you. For God so loved the world. You could put your name right there. What have you decided about Jesus? John eleven twenty five 25 says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said these words. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me, he says, shall never die. Now we know these physical bodies are going to die, but what he's saying is, you will be with me throughout eternity in a glorified body. And then he asks this question, 
Do you believe this? That is a direct question from Jesus to you today. Do you believe? You may say, you know what? No, I don't today. And that's okay. I'm just glad you're here. And I pray that you'll, I pray you'll think more and, and be willing to check into it. But some of you today, you can tell that, that there's something missing in your life. And it's the relationship with God that you're made for. Jesus came to restore that between you and the Father. And he said, if you'll believe in me and receive me, you'll become a son and a daughter in my family. He did all this for you. Today, if you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't have to walk down this aisle. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to to do anything special, you know, for me. I want to encourage you right now just to get alone with God. And I might just help you. And you maybe don't even know what to say, but in faith, you might just pray something like this to him. Dear Jesus, I receive you today in faith as my Savior. I believe you died for me. And that, and Lord, I, I have faith today. I, I don't even understand it all, but I, I believe, Lord. I want to I believe you helped me with that today, that you were raised from the dead. Jesus, will you forgive me of my sin? Will you come into my life? Will you be my Savior? Thank you, Jesus, for saving me that I get to be with you forever. Today, with our heads bowed before the Lord, if you prayed that prayer, I just want to be the first to congratulate you and welcome you into the family of God. I feel a responsibility as a pastor to come alongside you, and our, our team here does. And there's no pressure from us, but we want you to know that if you have questions, we're here for you in that. One of the things I want to challenge you to do, and you all can look up here at me now, is this connection card that's in the seats in front of you. Today, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, or some of you, maybe you made a decision, and your decision was, I wanna, I've been a believer, but, and I'm a believer, but I wanna just recommit myself to him. We'd love it if you'd let us know. And again, it's not to hound you or anything. We just would love to know about that. Maybe you don't feel like doing that. That doesn't mean that you're still saved, okay? It's still, this is not contingent on your salvation. But here's what I do want to urge you to do. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. You tell somebody what he's done in your life. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your family, I, I trusted Jesus as my savior. If you fill this out today, we just love it if you just put it in the box on the way out the door so we can celebrate with you. If you have questions, let us know. Aren't you thankful for Jesus today and what he did? Amen. Coming back. Are you ready for it?